Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first uh, podcast of It Should Go Without Saying for 2021. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and joining me today in a breaking news emergency podcast is our resident AFL expert and longtime Collingwood supporter, Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Uh, I'm well. Um, the reason why Cameron joins me today is because of the news of the day, and we're recording this uh, on Tuesday evening, the 9th of February, is that Eddie Maguire has resigned as president of the Collingwood Football Club. And the reason I wanted to speak to you, Cameron, uh, in the first instance is, uh, I guess you, you've been backing for Collingwood a long time, but things have been happening in the last, I don't know, last decade, as far as Eddie's been uh, concerned, controversies and, and things like that to do with allegations of uh, racism and, and other other forms of bigotry and uh you certainly privately had uh conveyed some thoughts to me uh about that and and what you had done so i guess in the first instance what's your what's your reaction to today's news uh i think it had to happen um i think the what you're uh, alluding to is is um you know it's as good a time as any to guess like to talk about it i suppose mm-hmm. Um, was that um, it was partly I was partly a choice, but it was um, anyway. I'll, I'll just sort of talk to early two thousand and eighteen, coming off a fairly trash season, and um, my membership renewal, which just came up um, via direct debit. Um, I had changed credit cards, and so there was that thing where rather than um, the direct debit just naturally happening. The football club were going to have to get in touch with me um, to find out about the new credit card details. And right around this time, um, the uh, Harisier's uh, Big H's um, comments sort of resurfaced, um, and he was making it clear uh, once again that um, you know he'd he'd suffered. Um, from racism at the football club and uh shamefully i think looking back on it now my first response to that was kind of um i guess aligned with um much of what played out in the media at the time which was that h was sort of prone i guess to being loud um uh you know and and i I sort of shrugged it off a little um but then what followed in the in the days you know after that i guess were um confirmations from um andrew cracker and leon davis and um shay mcnamara among others i think that um much of what h had been saying was spot on um and that really hit home i sort of couldn't shake it and um people at home might be able to identify with this but as a supporter of a football club, I think you kind of you grow up and you you're so used to shrugging off any negativity that kind of um, comes up about your footy club. You're so you're kind of um, ultra defensive in much the same way as Eddie's been presenting, um, you know, <laughs> in response to these like accusations and things like that. Um, his whole journey, essentially, but that's like I think that's inbuilt in most of us because. You, you support your football club in exclusion of all the others mm. and and all your mates are sort of ready to have a crack at you about one thing or another and you kind of you got to get really strong about bouncing back and having a go at their football club and all that kind of stuff and I, I just couldn't really escape um, you know my own journey with with systemic racism in this in this country and stuff like that I couldn't really escape a really shitty feeling in the pit of my stomach that I didn't want to defend this particular aspect of my football club, but I guess society in general. Um, and, you know, as, as time went on, um, you know, the football club were contacting me to kind of get those new credit card details. And I wrote a really long-winded email and felt like a senior citizen when I did so. But having <laughs> said that, I, you know, it was the first time I'd contacted the footy club um, in such a way. Um, across 10 years plus of being a member. And I sort of thought, you know, if I write one email every 10 years, it'd be good if it was heard. Um, yeah. 
<clears throat> and I essentially um, asked the question. I just said, look, I, you know, I wonder uh, if there's a lot of truth to what um, H was talking about and um, that he's been backed up by, you know, some, some greats of the club um, and some of our Indigenous players. Um, and I want... I want our football club, which was languishing at the time and really struggling um, under uh, Nathan Buckley and, you know, nothing was seemingly going right there. But I was just like, this stinks, you know, like um, it's something that needs to be corrected so that, you know, the young fellas that we drafted this club um, and I referenced uh, Isaac Quainor at the time, I'm pretty sure, um, as a young fella had just got to the club and I didn't want his journey to be aligned with um, Heritiers at all mm. and um, the club didn't respond um, which now that the report has come out about racism I mean they've probably got bigger fish to fry than individual concerns from members but I doubt it was the only letter of its kind that got sent along um, you know and so I, d I made the decision not to give the football club my new credit card details and um, even that's a difficult journey because I've still got so much love for the footy club and I still love watching them play every weekend, but it is clouded by um, what I perceive to be um, this issue being swept under the carpet. I started to witness the kind of powerful PR machine from, um, you know, the project um, and Peter Hellier and his links to the Collingwood football club and the way they just kind of discredited Harry Haritia, uh, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, the way that the coach spoke about um, him as a person and the way the just the club in general sort of really um, pushed home the theme that um, he was a disgruntled, you know, former player and um, we were just going to get on with it and no one person is bigger than the club and all this kind of stuff. And, just left a bad taste in my mouth. I really didn't like the way that it was handled and I haven't rejoined um, the footy club since. Um, 2018 was obviously a, a really good year on field and um, we managed to run away from those problems to find some team harmony for a really short stint. And at the end of that year, I, I sort of I wrote to the footy club again and I referenced the email that I'd written in the first place um, and sort of said that I was proud of what we'd achieved on field, but I wondered, you know, um, is is it is it reflective of some genuine change that's taken place at the footy club? Um, you know, and would there be someone from the membership department or someone from the club who'd be willing to talk to me about um, that situation, particularly because it was the one thing standing in the way of me rejoining the club, which looked like it was a great place to play footy at again. Mm. Um this time I got a response, but it was, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I found it to be quite vanilla um, and bland, a response. It was sort of like, you know, how can we help you or whatever? And it it, it, it seemed to be coloured with the same kind of, we're not interested in this problem, um, uh, which is, is now kind of interesting, I guess, that everything is coming out. It's like they, they, for the longest time, didn't want to acknowledge what was going on and were perhaps even just blissfully ignorant of kind of the level of the problem that was going on at the footy club. And, you know, it should be said that I, I don't think this is a Collingwood issue um, entirely. I think that, you know, every day in mass media there are um, pretty ordinary things going on um, in in politics and um, in other football clubs and, you know, even for yourself and, and your own journey, um, Punter, I'm sure that the Robbie Muir um, story really hit home for you last year. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, it, 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 it goes beyond Collingwood, this issue, but there's no doubt that we've been the centre of it. Um, and I think rightly so uh, this last chunk of time. And eventually that made Ed's position completely untenable because, you know, it was embarrassment after embarrassment, essentially. Um, but for the report, firstly, to have been in our possession since December, I believe, 
um, and then leaked to the media as opposed to sort of proudly, in inverted commas, spoken about with regard to how we might move forward as a football club and owning what was in the report and um, being, uh, I don't know, strong in our response. It seemed like quite a weak response and, um, you know, and one where we we ended up holding a press conference because the document got leaked um, without any of our sponsor information and none of the sort of grandiose um, Collingwood press conference and, uh, and style. That's become a PR cliche, hasn't it? That the bad news and the not, you don't have the sponsors banners behind you. They're sort of the, the white bed sheet behind yeah. them or, or, or just, just the, maybe the club logo, you know, repeated in a pattern or something like that, but no sponsors for bad news. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, yeah. I, I sort of get where, I get where that's coming from, but the the messaging from Ed in that press conference was it was like it was brilliant news, you know, and and dressing it up was just so embarrassing. Um, and and of course he was bashed from pillar to post for for those comments. Um, and you know, in some ways, I, you know, not to like make myself very special here, but Ed still responds to 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 barbs about the footy club and to you know deep questioning about the footy club in the same way that I would when I was 20 in the pub with my mates. It, it, it's unacceptable. It's not, it's no longer um, possible for him to respond that way. The report found that we would try and spin our way out of situations and it's exactly what Ed did. Um, and, you know, at some stage his, his legacy, which um, is, is pretty massive in, at the footy club, but also um, in the wider kind of AFL community and and in the media, um, you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but um, we don't get to hold him up as this person who's been amazing without also acknowledging what he oversaw at Collingwood. And um, you know, I think the only way for us to meaningfully move forward was to um, reach the decision that. Um, Ed Reach, presumably with the board today. Yeah, um, thanks for that, Cameron. Um, I mean, it is it is a, it is a monumental day in the sort of landscape, and you know, not to get too Andy Ma intro slash outro, but he he Eddie is just about the biggest name in certainly in in Melbourne football. Really, um, he might be the most influential. Uh, person in that regard it, this century and he's been president of Collingwood for the entirety of it it was October 1998 when he was when he ascended to the presidency there there aren't too many there might have been an election at that board many but he, he he took over a club which was you know struggling to find a place to play its home games balancing the need to accommodate a large supporter base with I think a pretty old-fashioned desire to stay at its suburban home, um, which also had a financial effect on the club. And on top of that, the club had been broadly unsuccessful on the field for the, for most of the 90s, um, culminating in Eddie's first season as president when Collingwood finished last, um, which is one of the only two times it's happened in their history. I think 1976 was the other one. Yeah. Recovered pretty well from 1976, but um, he's—I mean—he's he's a complicated uh, person to come at from my personal point of view because he—he he has so many hats. Um, in one respect, I've always found he was one of the best callers of football. Um, but he's not—he hasn't just been a a football commentator. He's also a host of football shows and a football journalist. Um which became infinitely more complicated when he, you know, sort of broke that, that barrier and became president of the football club at the same time as he was hosting the footy show. Um, I don't know if I would have hurried on to the footy show as president of the St Kilda football club to be interviewed by another president. Um, and then also, I mean, he, he has a television show, 
he 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 has become almost a professional sports administrator in many respects. He's been on the board of, I think, one of the T20 franchises. I, I, I get mixed up which one of them is the stars of the Renegades. I think James Brayshaw was cheering the other one because obviously there was only two people in Victoria who could do those jobs. Yeah, Ed was the uh, stars man for the record. Ed, Ed was the stars. Okay, so um, right coincidentally because of Patrick, we, we're a Renegades family, so I guess we have to stick with the worst test cricket caller of all time in James Brayshaw. Um, <laughs> there was there was also, I think he was on the board of Athletics Australia. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to touch on which you, which you talked about, about the way we remember Eddie as president of Collingwood. Um, as a supporter of another club, um, I think you 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 expect your board to be certainly protective of the club and of the brand. It's certainly been a criticism of the various boards of my football club that they haven't provided a full-throated enough defense of the football club and people associated with the club at various times through various scandals uh, that have involved people at the St Kilda Football Club. Uh, that was never true of Eddie. He was always very full-throated in his defence. And, you know, I can, I, one thing I can remember saying is, is, you know, I think he said this on the footy show about something uh, when he was hosting and after he became president, is it, it's not who throws the first punch in a fight, it's who throws the last punch. I think I think he sort of lived that a little bit. Um, but you do expect the board to sort of, you do expect them to be serious professional people I'm not suggesting that he wasn't, but this sort of the way he would he would get his back up when Collingwood was criticised, and he'd be like, it was a, it was it was, and you know, you could get back into the sort of history and the of the Collingwood Football Club for a hundred years, but a very us and them way of looking at things, and I think in this instance that's manifested itself into taking things that have been done that should have been done better and making them worse because they haven't been able to, you know, honestly admit that they have issues and address them accordingly. Because this stuff with with Lumumba was going on, you know, during, you know, when I understand when Mick Maltas was coach. So... I'm not sure without his knowledge or not. I'm, I'm not making any accusations, but it was like this was happening when Collingwood were playing in grand finals and Lumumba was, you know, buying for all Australian spots off the back flank and playing very good football. And then it sort of degenerated, but even further. But, and we, I mean, we've seen this in football clubs in other, in other uh, contexts in terms of this sort of instinct to be defensive and to close ranks uh, has compounded mistakes and it's cost football clubs. I think that's right, mm. you know, and I think I think the world has shifted pretty dramatically, um, you know, in the time that we've been alive, you know, the, the idea of, of racism has changed completely. It's not about, well, it's not purely about being outlandish and vocal with racist taunts in the stands. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's about systems that are put in place which benefit, um, you know, white people above all others. Mm. That's that's a huge distinction and one that people are people are playing catch up with. Um, you know, really big, beautiful, loud voices like Lumumba are helping with that. But, you know, to think about that era and to think about how, how much he wanted to succeed um, and therefore what he was willing to joke along about or um, play into or whatever, you know, it's just, it is, it's part of it. It's part of a different time. Mm. Um, uh, and, and, you know, this culture of, of vulnerability, which is actually working really beautifully for teams on field. You know, we speak often about like the happiest team is the team that's winning the flag, um, you know, which is also a change in our lifetime. You know, it's not the most brutal team anymore or um, necessarily like, you know, it's it's the team that plays for each other and, and feels genuine love for each other and has accountability and vulnerability and, um, 
teams that own their mistakes and players that own their mistakes. You know, we've watched that shift on field um, where, you know, leadership groups are holding young footballers accountable for the, for the acts that they, you know, um, that they can't defend. Um, that's what make fo- makes football clubs on field really strong. And are we playing catch up at board level with with that regard? Because, um, yeah, well, certainly, you know, Eddie's overseen that entire era as racism has changed, uh, or, or the, our understanding of what is systemically racist has changed. And and is he born of a different time, so he can't get it, or is it just purely about making sure that you know if people are in the wrong, it's not Collingwood. Um, it's sort of it's really hard to get um, a firm grip on um, the the, yeah. the the born of a different time stuff. I think is a little bit of a cop out because we're all we all need to be learning and, and growing and developing. So um, having said oh, I'm that, not excusing, is, I'm not excusing. No, no, behavior, no. But I'm saying people play people play catch up at their own rates. Yeah. Like and and and. You know, I, I've expressed already how how it was a difficult idea for me to come to terms with until far too late um, in my development as a person, but I still copped on and I wasn't charged with defending the club from the indefensible every single day. Um, you know, anyway, that's um, that was all I was sort of getting at. No, no, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's clear that Eddie, can't, you know, comes from a time when... You know, he's the sort of bloke who, you know, without, I guess, the recent influence from the outside world, would would love a good, an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scot walk into a bar joke, <laughs> which is sort of disappearing. So, you know, I think he got in trouble a couple of years ago, a millionaire for, you know, ma- making a joke about someone whose who's, who's heritage was half Scottish, half Jewish, and then being tight. Um, you know, it it just comes from a time we're just they just we just like oh you know, let's make a joke about you know Scottish pe- Jewish people not being you know being thrifty with money. That's oh you know, let, let's let's have a let's have a let's have a gag you know and um so but I mean there's been some stuff there. I mean obviously the stuff regarding Adam Goods was I mean. It, a lot's happened in the world in seven and a half years. 2013 feels like 1913 in many respects. Um, but it wasn't that long ago. And it was it was one of those things, one of those stories that was just like, you almost couldn't believe it at the time that he would have said what he said. Absolutely. Um, it was it was mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was, it was part of this um, this shift that I was talking about earlier where you know, my instinct was to try and find a reason, you know, how the hell that could happen. Yeah. You know, um, he's doing breakfast radio among a ton of other roles. And at the time I wanted to say, well, he's just got to give those roles up because I, I didn't think that he genuinely believed what he said. Do you know what I mean? I didn't think that he could genuinely disrespect Adam Goods, you know, so brutally and so openly Mm. But there was just there was just mistake after mistake after mistake. It, we can talk about goods. We can talk about Caroline Wilson. There's just yeah. like there's so many um, areas where he was just messing it up royally. Yeah. And I wanted to blame the fact that he was tired or whatever. But it's like, I don't know, anyway, carry on. I mean, the the Adam Goods thing that we're talking about. I'm not, not going to mention the description, but my my memory of listening to the audio because yeah, I have to confess. I mean, I was living in Melbourne at the time, but I wasn't listening to Triple M Breakfast Radio. Um, but listening to the audio afterwards was that bastion of social justice, Luke Darcy, was like, you sh- you, he was almost like, you do realise we're on air. Yeah. So it was obvious. It was one of those mistakes um, where you're just like, I can't believe... I mean, and not not in a rhetorical sense, but almost in a literal sense. You can't believe he said that, that there wasn't some mechanism in his brain that said, stop, don't yeah. keep talking. That's right. Yeah. And, and 
I also, I also, I mean, you were saying you weren't listening to breakfast radio on Triple M. That's, yep. I mean, if 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 anything, if any gaff, not gaff, it's a shit thing to say. If any, if any mistake, if any racist remark like that was going to be said on on any radio station, it was in this kind of, you know, and the Caroline Wilson um, stuff would follow. It was this boys' club kind of um, gross backward radio station where you know that that bred this stuff and eddie was at the helm of all that as their breakfast radio guy and you know as their morning superstar and um yeah it's just that is Mm. yeah yeah and i mean it does i mean if you think about all the there's a lot of black marks against people who have gone through the through the like footy calling and and pre-game and post you know pre-game two hours on the triple M show as in there are marks against people like Brian Taylor. And I'm, I'm not talking about just criticism of you, you're terrible at your job. I'm just talking about, you know, things like the thing we're talking about with Eddie, um, where it's just like, yeah, this is, this is an environment with this sort you know, these group, this group of people thinks this is okay. Mm. And, you know, whether they realize it or not consciously at the time, there is a microphone and it is on and, tens of thousands of people are listening so um i mean it was i mean i've never been it's it it's never been at radio station that i spent any time listening to in sort of any context but um yeah it's personal preference but um yeah um the other thing you mean uh, one of the other things you mentioned in 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 your answer to my initial my initial question um I guess was the Robbie Muir stuff, which came out last year. This, you know, this incredible article that um, there's not many articles like that in this day and age that get written um, in terms of its sheer length. I, I think it must have been six, seven thousand words. Mm. Um, but you know, you 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 made yourself get through it. Um, I can't speak about what's happened internally at my football club. I can certainly talk about my experience, which was. As a child, though, I was certainly, um, I was certainly given and adopt and, and, and embraced the narrative that St Kilda was a place where Indigenous players could play and thrive. Um, you know, I grew up following St Kilda when they had Phil Narkel and the, and and then Nicky Winmar and Gilbert McAdam and Dale Kickett and then, um, and then so on and so forth. And obviously, there was that 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 day at Victoria Park in 1993 where. Wimar held up his jumper after, yeah, a match-winning performance by Wimar and McAdam, um, which was really the tipping point in terms of the, the sort of the wheel turning to, you know, try and inject every metaphor and cliche in the book. But um, I don't think, you know, we, we want to think that that was the point where things didn't get any worse from um, that day because after that, you know, a couple of years later, there was Michael Long and Damien Monkhorst, and, and then there was a process for this sort of stuff being dealt with. And um, you know, before before those two incidents, you know, nothing ever happened. I mean, I can remember an incident in 1990 involving Nicky Winmar and Dermot Brereton, where I think Winmar got suspended for a really long time for doing some things to Brereton. Um, I'm not sure what was happening then, but. Well, Brereton spoke at length about um, in the 1991 um, grand final, uh, final story doco Mm. um, about uh, Hawthorne's targeted um, abuse of Chris Lewis on grand final day. He would have been almost at the peak of his powers in 1991. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the West Coast were well and truly emerging um, with some incredibly exciting Aboriginal talent um, at the helm uh, of that. And, yeah, it's, um, you know, but, I mean, what what was remarkable there in some of the stories you referenced and, and what mm. was in the Collingwood report was that, um, you know, this isn't a problem that was entirely Collingwood's, but every time racism reared its head in the AFL, Collingwood was never too far away from it. And you sort of that that is indefensible if yep. it, you know just about every time and you just go oh, you know how how 
Yeah, and I, um, I, yeah. I, I just want to make the point so it doesn't seem like I'm glazing over at, at St Kilda Warts and all. I can certainly remember the sort of abuse that might not have been that might not have used racial slurs all the time, but the sort of abuse that was aimed at Raphael Clark, who was not everybody's favourite player. But and I can remember a final we played at the Docklands one year, and I, 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 I we weren't sitting in our same seats because it was a final, so we we're not sitting next to the same people we normally sat next to. And um, this person just started laying into Raph from a minute of the game, and Clark was poor that day. There was there's no getting around that, but it was just. We lost, and you know I was going to be in a bad mood, but I was in a worse mood because I had to sit next to this idiot, um, who who had decided that you know the the, the loss laid at one player's feet. So um, there is that, you know, and I think and I think we, you know, I don't, as I said, I don't know what's gone on the club internally, but um, I think I think the response from the St Kilda Football Club to the Robbie Muir story was pretty quick. Um, it was pretty penitent. Um, I don't, you know, not to stick one in the guts, but I don't think the word proud was anywhere in our response. Um, no. And no, I mean, I mean, this is, I find it hard to be, you know, vitriolically, if that's a word, critical, you know, but, you know, the, this, and I think this is something that's not just—it's not just a Collingwood problem; it's a football problem. It's a problem with a lot of people in the public sphere at the moment. Um, is you got to put a positive spin on everything, and you can't flatly admit fault. Um, the story I always tell, and I broke this out early in my early in my professional career. I was working a crappy job, and I made a mistake, and someone didn't get paid. After the Bay of Pigs, John F. Kennedy said, success has a thousand fathers and failure is an orphan. But I am, I, am the, I am the responsible officer of the government, therefore I am the author of this failure. Um, and if you read enough of the Bay of Pigs, you'll, you'll, you'll realise that not, quite, not very much of the responsibility actually lay with Kennedy. We don't get that much anymore. And, you know, I've sort of opined about this in various spots over the years, but, you know, the I regret my actions, and if any offence has been caused, you know that sort of thing. Instead of, instead of like, God, I did the wrong thing. I was an idiot, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Where's I'm sorry? Yeah. You know, just. Uh, it yeah. just and as I said before, it kind of seems to exist on a micro level, but like, but never on a macro level. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I can understand, you know, considering the industry I work in. Um, it is desire to get on the front foot and sort of look at his, look at it in that, that press conference a couple of weeks ago as a positive. Here's the report. You know, we've got our writing instructions. We know what we've done wrong. We know we're going to do better. We're going to do better, you know. Um, but I don't think anyone wanted that tone and he didn't read the room. Um, and it would have been a lot easier if, as you said, the report hadn't have been leaked beforehand, which made it look like the, the press conference was a reaction to events out of their control and events that, could very well have easily been in their control if they had wanted the report to be released. Well, that's right. I mean, I don't know. If, if Eddie was capable of genuine change and of turning the football club around, you, you own that document as soon as you receive it back. But instead, mm. within days, we knew that Eddie wouldn't be continuing with the club following this year. Um that he felt he had to usher in um, some change. And then the document drops, you know, sometime later. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's been a full-on time. I have to say, though, I do think there's some pretty extraordinary um, on-field leaders at our footy club um, who I believe um, got to work in the way that Ed might have. Um, rallied and uh, wrote a genuine apology um, which surfaced on social media mm. um, you know and I speak of kind of Brody Grundy's and the Darcy Moores um, at the footy club and you know you, you don't you'll never really know what they're like 
but I think that I, I see them as quite um, new age footballers. Lots of other interests besides football um, thinkers. Uh, and I think that they were pretty brutally um, upset and embarrassed by what had taken place. I thought their response was, uh, you know, should be credited. Mm. I mean, it's encouraging that, very encouraging that that sort of thing happened. Um, neither of them played that long with Lumumba, which, you know, and I, I didn't, I, I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't go through the list of, or, or if there was a list of people who had, you know, attached their name to, to that statement. But I, uh, you know, it's, it, it's very encouraging and probably, you know, was as a bit of as a result of that press conference that they felt like, you know, we're not happy with that. And we're, we are, we are also the Collingwood football club. So, and you know, a football club is more, obviously more than just the president or the board or the playing group. Um, so, I mean, that was, that was encouraging. And then maybe, maybe today's events mean that it will be taken a little bit further as well again. And it can um, be, it can be really impactful too. Mm. I think, you know, we've both sort of worked in organizations where one loud voice or, um, you know, one genuine leader can be, uh, can change things massively. Mm. Um, for the players to come together and, and do that didn't feel uh, tokenistic to me. Um, and it felt like they were going to take ownership where our leaders had failed to. Um, and I guess anything's possible for the footy club with, with it out the door now, you know, um, what should follow is hopefully an apology from the top. Um, you know, I think they've been loath to do that and, and in, in, and publicly have said, you know, particularly with um, Lumumba's story, that it is, you know, playing out in the courts. Mm. Um, but it's it's a little hollow because some genuine, I, I think some, uh, you know, a genuine apology and a genuine understanding of what took place and why that's not okay and why it can't be okay moving forward and in order to improve the experience of, um, and Isaac Quainor, um, and and all the future incredible black draftees yeah. that hopefully come to Collingwood. Yeah. Um, when you can't yeah. have a you can't have a situation moving forward where someone like that, someone like Quainor or, or a young Indigenous player coming to the club feels like, you know, with 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 regards to a certain nickname that Lumumba may have been called, and you know, nicknames being extraordinarily generous. Um, that oh no it was okay because you know he said it was okay or something like that which is again one of those things where you just think no it's obviously not okay you know you you shouldn't asking for permission is not okay um yeah i i just i'd love to ask a young fella like that how they're feeling right now genuinely yeah if they feel any you know like um i think it shocked some of the players and i hope that it shocked um IQ. I hope that he was like, oh, that's not been my experience at all. But um, you just don't know. And mm. yeah, I'm just hugely hopeful for, for the future of the place. Mm. Um, on a macro nuts and bolts issue, getting away from necessarily Eddie specifically, is 22 years too long to be president of a football club? Because I think the next longest serving president, and this is just off the top of my head without doing your research, would be Peggy O'Neill at Richmond. And I feel like she's been president since about 2013. So obviously Jeff's in his second stint at Hawthorne. but And Costa has just left after a, a good chunk of time. Yeah. So I feel like... Yeah. I mean, I it think... is. It is too long. And, mm. and it's also... Um, it was never really it was never really questioned. There were, there weren't, um, you know, continual elections that he kept winning. Mm. Um, it was just unopposed carry on more of the same. And never, never, never too many stories about who was being groomed to take over. No, that's right. Despite there being some relatively impressive CVs of former Collingwood players and, 
I mean, um, there's some there's some ex Collingwood players who've gone on done really well post football in the right. private sector. You know, right across the right across a whole range of industries. That's right, so, and I, I expect one of them to come forward um, and assume the mantle. Um, you know, before too long. But yes, in answer to your question, it's 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 far too long, and you know, it, it had got to a place where, you know, like. There, there's enough people on the internet likening like Eddie to Trump by the end, you know, and that kind of dictatorship type of vibe. Um, there, there were growing calls for Ed not to be president, you know, probably long before um, I made the decision to leave the club. Mm. So I'd be really interested to hear how many people sort of followed suit before me and after me Um and and where we're sitting from that standpoint, you know, how many people voted with their money? Mm. Yeah, come on. I, I mean, I'm not sure about the membership numbers, but it was a year or two there where it, it plateaued. But I don't know whether that was due to, or whether that was in a year where you got like 2017 or something like that, where you had, where you had struggled on field. I feel like it probably recovered after 2018, because you you had recovered on field. So. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure membership went down last year, but you know, there's there's no reading any any anything into last year's numbers. But it might have been down before everything happened. The pandemic hit right as the season starts. So, and it stands to reason that a club's membership would go up. You know, with with more and more people in the cities every year. It just, mm. um, you know, uh, standing still is going backwards. I don't really know, but um, I'd, I'd be shocked if I was the only one. And um, yeah, fair enough. Well, I guess the million-dollar question then is: is will will the Collingwood Football Club be getting your credit card details in the next little while? <laughs> uh, well, no, it, no, in the short term, because it's not as easy as just, um, you know, as just throwing Eddie out and um, and thinking we'd be rid of everything. Mm. Um, we've put a couple of of, of good. Um, you know, we've, we've begun to take action. And I like, I just sort of have to believe a couple of the riders that I follow that there has been some really good action taken by the football club, um, you know, uh, along the lines of, of the steps within the report where we had to improve. But the proof will be in the pudding. You know, like there's been little, just little moments along the way, especially since I left uh, or since I stopped um, buying a membership. Um, you know, like um, hiring uh, Matty Rendell to join the recruiting department. Um, and he's sort of, he had a bit of a, um, well, he had some interesting comments surrounding drafting um, Indigenous talent and things like that, um, which was partly why he wasn't recruiting in Adelaide anymore. Mm. But he was, he was welcome to Collingwood. And yeah, there's just, you know, like you hear about these um, policies for not recruiting Indigenous um, kids. Um, that there was supposedly one in place at Hawthorne for a long time. I've heard that there was one in place at Collingwood for a long time. And it, it, it's shameful that, you know, it's pretty difficult to um, rattle off too many um, uh, Indigenous players who came to Collingwood and succeeded. Leon Davis being you know, the obvious, um, uh, the obvious exception. Um, but then yeah. as we discussed in, in one of our most recent podcasts, when we talk about football, Leon Davis's career ended abruptly and almost inexplicably. So. Absolutely. But, yeah. but, but due to, you know, I think uh, like it, it was symptomatic of, again, of being a successful club. You, you could link, I guess, Leon Davis's the end of Leon Davis's career with the exit of Adam Chalor in some way. I don't necessarily think, um, you know, that being Indigenous had much to do with it. And he's revered at the club as a champion, but he's the exception. He's not the rule. And even when we've um, brought players like that into the club of late, um, they've often been, um, you know, guys who've who've had careers elsewhere, um, had you know, proven footy club character and in inverted commas or whatever. And it's, it's to our detriment. 
because they're just like all the good clubs have in, absolutely incredible indigenous talent and footballers and and you know I just it feels so sad that that doesn't happen at my football club very much. Mm. No, and we I mean, have I'm, to get better there too. I mean, I, I can, I can certainly roll. I can certainly say that some of my most pleasing moments watching my football club last year related to, you know, some of the players we had brought in from other clubs who were, who who were who were indigenous and you know. Paddy Ryder had a history against St Kilda, one of the, maybe one of the most heartbreaking games I've ever seen when he when he uh, put it down Robbie Gray's throat against Port Adelaide in 2017. That was pr- forgotten pretty quickly, and you know the story about, you know, I think, you know, apologies if I'm incorrect, but I think Hill and Ryder are distant cousins. So I think I that's think, right. Yeah, I think I think one brought the other one over. So, you know, you know, a wonderful win for the club, and you know, no one no one at St Kilda talks about. Right, a, you know, basically ending our season at Port Adelaide that day anymore. So I know there was some discussion this week to go on a tangent about us bringing in Mason Wood and him running the clock down against us when you know we they were pointing up North Melbourne pointing up and they had twenty seven <laughs> seconds left. And he had a shot on goal. I'll just take my thirty seconds. Thanks, game over. So not that Mason Wood's going to play too many games, I wouldn't think. But um, I just hope I, I, I you know I also hope that. You know, there's been a whole lot of improvement amongst a whole bunch of clubs, and and you've seen, you talked about Hawthorne, which, you know, Hawthorne was such a, an incredible success when I was growing up, and they didn't have any Indigenous players, and they, I don't think they had barely any Indigenous players until sort of like Mark Williams and Chance Bateman in the mid two thousands, and then. But you know, look both, at that! Look what both, that did to their club. Yeah, and then those guys, and then Buddy, and then Cyril Rioli, and yeah, and Sean Burgoyne, like coming across from Port Adelaide as a player who looked cooked and plays for another hundred years, and just like these are by any metric some of the greatest footballers to ever play our game. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of hate when they're only held up against each other because Buddy's like <laughs> forget Indigenous footballers, Buddy's just like. One of the best we will ever see. Well, I remember. I remember seeing Franklin after his first season, and I was talking to a, a mate of mine who I played footy with, who played for Hawthorne, and who, who eventually, I think, became such a fan of Cyril that he always wanted to name his firstborn Cyril. Um, <laughs> which would, yeah, you know, he's Jewish, so it would have been fitting because Cyril's a pretty Jewish name. But um, you know, I said the the ceiling for Lance is uh, is goat. He could be the greatest of all time. You know, mm. he's just. You know, he's six foot five. He runs like the wind. Um, he's incredibly skilled. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I think sort of the, the realization is dawning on us over the last couple of weeks that there might not that be, there might, there might be less than 10 buddy games left. Um, you know, he, he's, he's struggling with his body. So that's right. But um, he, like he's just been a marvel. And we could talk about it all night. Yeah, um, you know, the, the, and we don't want to just talk wonderful about wonderful players, of course. And but but also having to talk about the sort of stuff that Robbie Mule went through and kept coming back. You know, I think he was at the club, St Kilda two or three times, kept coming back, and 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 you know that I mean that last day out at Carlton, I'm reading the story about that, um, and the sort of stuff that you now he had to put up with. I mean, he's from he's from up this way originally, um, and the stuff the he had to put up with. The stuff he had to put up with on the footy show, which brings yeah. things full circle, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and I mean, yeah. there there have been, you know, I I, I stopped watching it a while ago. I I I might have I might have I might not have stopped watching early enough. Who knows? I, I I can't remember exactly when I stopped religiously watching it, but I think that sort of that sort of way of thinking and doing things in terms of for entertainment purposes, is is pretty pretty much gone. So oh yeah, long since, and the footy show took too long to catch up. Yeah, yeah, it's been replaced yeah. by sort of I can't, I, you know, I'm because because I'm a cord cutter. I've never actually sat down and watched an episode of the front bar, but um, the clips I've seen, all that sort of stuff. It's just Andy Ma and two people playing silly buggers. 
So well, Andy Mar- Andy Mar is fantastic. I know we've gone right off track here, but he's fantastic and he's a voice for change in the community and um yeah, pretty- he's brilliant. So they've 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 immediately um succeeded where the footy show well, failed. Well, yeah, we'll end on a high note then because, you know, I, I, did, I agree with everything you say that Andy Marr, but as long as he's going, I will continue to make fun of the Andy Marr outro, which is almost as good as the Ian McFadden intro, which is a very obscure reference. But Cameron, it's been great having you. You're an institution in this town, the agent, football person, speaking about things. It's wonderful to have you on. Hopefully, we'll wish you all success in the future. There we go. There's the Andy Marr outro. <laughs> he, never just says goodbye. he never says goodbye to anyone simply when it's the end of an interview on the radio. It's, it's, it's like a 15-second, you know, this is a big story in this town and we'll continue to keep up with it in the weeks and months to come. And it's just like, that's a skill. You know, they don't teach you that at RMIT journalism. <laughs> Maybe they teach it to you at Marceline College, which, you know, I can remember. And, of course, how to say, Windy! Um, good on you, Andy. He's great. He's great, and he and I yep. sat behind him in the outer one day at a Collingwood Carlton game, and he's <laughs> one of the most brutally Carlton people, just absolutely giving it to every Collingwood player the whole day. And I was like, "Good luck to him," because he's able to then collect his thoughts and go onto the radio and you know listen to Collingwood people calling in and and keep himself in check and, and not games. be that guy anymore. Yeah, and I mean it, that's games. remarkable. He's never let that come to the fore. You know, you suspect that when Jared watches the football and he's not calling it, you know, even when the cats are going great, he, he's, he'd be reasonably reserved, if I had to guess. There's nothing reserved about Radar when he's watching the football. So, <laughs> right yeah. the great, I, although I have to say, I think the greatest example I've ever heard of, you know, sporting commentator bipartisanship, that is being the ultimate professional, despite the fact your heart being broken, is Anthony Hudson's call. Nick Davis. Nick Davis. I knew what you were going to go for. He was just going to be like, that's going to. And that is one of the great calls. Like, I've seen it, but I don't believe it. And it's just like, Geelong, were, Geelong weren't the Geelong of now then. They were the Geelong of the 80s and 90s, the Geelong of 42 years without a premiership and counting. And for him to do that and be that good at his job. So, um, Anyway, yeah, that's a fair old tangent we finished off. But you know, yeah, I know. I, know. I apologize we, uh, for no, that. No, that's but fine. Was... We can't be. We just uh, apologies, everyone listening. We can't be serious all the time. It's probably why you're listening, and you've probably gone. Well, I sat through 50 minutes of that, so I could get a little laugh at the end. But it was important to talk about, and hopefully, things turning around and on on the improve uh, for your footy club and the people who play for it. Cameron, I really appreciate uh, you coming on and. Uh, letting us know how you feel and telling us your story. So, um, and uh, next time when we talk footy, um, we'll probably be the preview podcast. So, you know, set set aside a good four or five hours before the start <laughs> of the season and we'll go through that. But we've got it. What we really need to do, and we keep saying this because we, we, we need to talk cricket. And I know that the people who, who fault, who've listened to the podcast for cricket haven't heard anything since probably November or December of 2019, back when the world was a different place. Now, I've done my own Andy Murray intro, outro. So, um, <laughs> thanks, Cameron. Good on you, Punna. And uh, we'll catch you next time on It Should Go That Saying. Thanks for listening.